This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is Montana U.S. Senator John Tester. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Growing Matters. Growing Matters is an industry coalition sharing science-based information about the crucial role neonicotinoids play in how food is produced. Learn more at neonicfacts.org. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Montana Senator John Tester next. Neonicotinoids, or neonics, are a class of pesticides that are vital to agriculture and are cornerstones of modern integrated pest management. For more than 25 years, neonics have played an important role in sustaining communities and help ensure farmers are able to grow the food, fuel, and fiber we need. Not using neonics would undermine the very practices that keep destructive pests in check and would negatively impact farmers, families, communities, and the environment. That is why Growing Matters, a coalition led by BASF Agricultural Solutions, Bayer, Mitsui Chemicals, Agro Inc., Syngenta, and Valent USA LLC, has launched neonicfacts.org to share science-based information about the crucial role neonics play and how food is produced. To find out more about the important role neonics play in North American agriculture, share the facts and learn the sources such as the EPA and Ag Informatics, visit neonicfacts.org. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. With partisan winds blowing on Capitol Hill, opportunities seem limited to accomplish many legislative tasks this year. Montana Senator John Tester says geopolitical events with Russia and China are adding tension to an already complex legislative outlook. I think that there needs to be really good work done by our intelligence community to make assessments continually on what China is up to. I think they made it pretty clear when they overtook Hong Kong that, that Taiwan was uh, was the next uh, move on the checkerboard, and that is a, that's also a problem. So, look, we've got two countries right now who are in totally different positions but, but have become incredible threats to the world, and, uh, and we, we need to continue to do what we can do to both use good diplomacy and also let these folks know that if they're to do something like this, uh, it would cost them a lot. And we've tried to do that as much as we can with, with Russia sitting on the border uh, and, and maybe Putin's listening. And... Uh, and, and by the way, there are signals sent every day to China to let them know that, you know, if they act appropriately, things will go well. If they start acting inappropriately, their costs will be high. You and others in Washington have made some uh, very strong comments with regard to concerns over Chinese ownership. Number one, the investment uh, in the agriculture industry, but also the ownership of farmland. How is that a concern, and do we have an, an accurate gauge for how much land they actually do own? Well, I'm going to tell you on the latter question, I don't think we do have an accurate gauge because you never know. I mean, for example, up where I live, there's a Canadian company that's buying a fair amount of land, and I don't know that it is a Canadian company. It may be. It may be a Canadian company that's a wholly owned subsidiary of the Chinese government. I don't know. And so I think these are important questions, and uh, 
and look, in that vein, I, I've got some I've got some legislation. Most of it deals with the agribusiness portion of things, where companies come in and try to buy a, a, a big agribusiness. It's a U.S. company, and and then take it overseas to China or somewhere else. But the bottom line is, is that you know, from a national security standpoint, and and food is national security. We need to do our best to protect people's civil liberties, but find out what the heck's going on as far as who's buying the ground. And, and who has control of it because it is it is something that uh, can have some pretty devastating effects and impacts on our national security. Trade Ambassador Tai has suggested that negotiating and dealing with the Chinese is, quote, difficult. Uh, the situation that we have now is the Biden administration is talking about an Indo-Pacific strategy. Not a lot of trade, but still an effort in that region. What are your thoughts? Well, I think that was the whole goal around TPP a, a few years ago, where we were trying to get uh, enough company, enough countries in alliance so we could develop trading partners that would really strengthen alliances that we have in the Pacific. And so I, uh, I think it's really, uh, I think what the, what the, what the, what the trade man said about China has been true forever. I mean, they've been they've been hard to deal with. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of times it's it's on their terms or it's no terms at all. I do think, though, from an agricultural standpoint, where where foreign trade is so very very important to us in production agriculture, that there are plenty of places to build alliances and 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 build uh, the kind of uh, uh, trade that that will help will help both the country from a national security standpoint and help production agriculture be able to stay in business and, and help the food chains that, that, that we all support. You sat uh, on the Appropriations Committee as well as Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs and offering some comments recently with regard to the Fed and suggesting that the Fed needs to remain independent. Could you share thoughts or expand further on that, please? Yeah, I sure can. I mean, I mean, look, uh, Congress is political, administration is political, uh, Supreme Court's not supposed to be political, but it tends to be political too. Uh, our money policy cannot be political. If you start depending, if the Fed starts depending on on folks in elected office uh, to be able to determine what financial monetary policy is best for the country. Uh, it won't be no surprise to you guys. It'll be screwed up. So uh, I, I'm, I have advocated for and continue to advocate that that the Fed uh, stay independent. That that they're not influenced by political pressures. That's hard to do in this town, but the truth is, is we've done it for for decades, and we need to continue to do it. And what adds fuel to the fire is I remember distinctly, vividly when uh, President Trump was trying to influence Powell, who is the chairman of the Fed, to do certain financial, make certain financial moves uh, and, and thereby politicize the Fed. Look, these guys on the Fed board have access to information, and their job is to go through that information, scrutinize it, and make the best call for monetary policy. It's worked great up till now. Uh, with you know, we've had our dips and turns in the economy, but that's normal. We bounced out of them fairly strong, and and so I just think it's really critically important that there is not influence from the left or the right on on the on the Fed board, and uh, and so that's what I talk about Fed independence. That's what I mean. So certainly we are at a delicate time with interest rates on the fly as they have been. 
how we bring this economy back under control and at the same time not stymie growth in industries like agriculture. You're absolutely correct, and and the issue is 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 both on the demand side and the supply side, uh, and so there are some things on the demand side the Fed can do some things about. The supply side is a different issue, and uh, we'll probably get into some of those things as it applies to the big meat packers and things like that in this conversation. But but in the end, um, uh, you're you're exactly correct. Um, we're seeing inflation. We've seen. Uh, some of the egg prices go up, and then we've seen input prices triple. Um, it, you know, you've been in, in production ag in your life, and, and, and I have for the last 44, 45 years, and I've seen every time egg prices go up, our input costs go up double or triple, every single time. And then the egg prices fall back, the input prices never do. Egg prices go up again, your inputs triple again, and pretty soon you get to the point where you either have to have those government supports, uh, which are taxpayer dollars, or uh, the margin's so thin that you go broke. Uh, and sometimes, even with the supports, the margin's so, so thin you go broke. So, um, you know, the, the inflation issue is a big issue, not only for the consumer, but also for the, those of us in production ag. Senator, is there anything that you see Congress could do to help with the supply chain disruptions that we're seeing now? I mean, it's everything from farmer inputs to, to enough food for school meals to even having enough food in rural states like Montana. Yeah, so we just talked talked about the border. I mean, the the, the border being open is critically important, and, and folks that, that want to close the border down to commerce do nothing but make the the supply chain that more delicate and 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 you know in a time like I live in a northern border state we're going to be farming here in probably six weeks or so uh, folks are going to be putting fertilizer in the ground if you can't get that fertilizer much of it which comes out of Canada then then you got you got big problems so uh, and then on on the consumer side of things people are going to the grocery store they're seeing meat prices high and they're seeing the, the Packers make record profits. I mean, Tyson just came out with with record profits for this last quarter. And I'm all about profits. I think people need corporations, people, everybody needs to make money. But the problem is, is these guys are making money on the backs of our cow-calf operators and our small and medium-sized feeders. And so I've, I've got a number of, of bills to take, not to... I mean, hopefully it'll fix it in the end, but it's going to take a little bit of time, and Congress needs to get off the duff and get these bills passed. I know that you and Senator Grassley have had plenty of comments uh, with regard to, and you've been working together on legislation with regard to cattle price discovery. But now we add to the mix two different farm meetings uh, here in 22. First of all, the American Farm Bureau Federation Convention meeting, and then the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. And both of those uh, policy statements quite concerned about anything with regard to mandatory amount of animals that would have to go through the auction system. Do those farmer comments as late have any impact or any influence on, on what you see that Congress may do here? Well, for sure. I mean, the input is always is always good, and it always has input one way or the other. Uh, what what I would say when establishing the the, the cash price, it, if if you got a better idea that works better than the bill that Grassley and I put forward, tell us what it is. But it can't be a half solution to a major problem. And and I can tell you that that the. The, the the cash trade the, the, the cattle that, that are or are sold on the cash trade 
right now that that's being manipulated big time, and it's had impact on the formula and the futures, both that that, that are part of this three-legged stool. And so, look, I, I'm I'm all about listening to everybody's input about how we need to move forward. But in the end, uh, I'm going to work. I'm going to work and do my best to make sure that the folks in production ag and the consumers get a fair shake. Right now, neither one of them are. And this is a proposal. And as you well know, Jeff, proposals can be changed through the legislative, uh, you know, uh, environment that, that they go through. And so we'll take the Farm Bureau's input in. But in the end, I really don't know how we get around uh, price discovery w- with, without some mandatory numbers. So thinking aloud about this issue, um, it has been ranking member on the Ag Committee, Senator Bozeman and his staff that's reached out to academia to ask them to analyze uh, the, the legislative proposal. Senator Grassley was somewhat critical of that, suggesting that the data coming from the land grants might actually have had some bias to it. How do you take what they offered you? What I would say is this, and, and I, I tend to fall more in Chuck Grassley's camp on this than I, than I do in the land grants, and I've been a big supporter of the land grants and will continue to be a big supporter of land-grant universities for, for obvious reasons. But, but in the end, uh, look, guys, uh, uh, I think they, they need to take a look at reality. I mean, the truth is the numbers are there. The profit margins are there. Uh, the markets, if you take a look, especially during this pandemic, where our cow-calf guys are, are getting squeezed to the max and these guys are making record profits. But, but here's the point that, that, that I really want to make that's over and above anything that could come out of the land grants or, quite frankly, anything that could come out of any of the, of the farm uh, trade groups. And that is, I've had a lot of people in production ag call me in the last year, year and a half, saying, we're going broke we are going broke. These are these are ranches that have been in the family for three, four, five generations, and they're saying we're going broke. Now they aren't doing that because they need somebody to talk to. They're doing that because they're in crisis, and and I think it's really incumbent upon all of us to take a look at the food chain that we have and say, all right, what ain't working? Because. Uh, Family farm agriculture, and that applies to family farm ranches and family farms themselves, they're fundamental to this country. They are fundamental to our national security. They're fundamental to our food supply. They are fundamental to who we are as a country. Even though there might be fewer people living in rural America than there was 100 years ago or 25 years ago, the bottom line is these guys are really important for our food security and for our national security. And so when I when I get ranchers that have been in the business since since Ring was a pup telling me that they're going out of they're going out of business, it gets my attention. It gets my attention. And so I'm looking for solutions. I'm not looking for excuses. I'm looking for solutions. And and the bottom line is is I look at I look at the whole thing and and look at who can manipulate the marketplace, who who can who can make it so that. Prices are artificially low. Uh, it, it, it's not on the grocery store. It's 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 on the packers. And and let me tell you something else, Jeff. As we go through this process, Grassley and I on most of these bills, we're going to get attacked by everybody that they can pay to attack us. Because the truth is, they've had it their way for the last hundred and one years. I mean, we pack, passed a 
Packers and Stockyards bill back in 1921. And the, and the, and the, and the situation today in the beef industry is more consolidated now than it was when Packers and Stockyards was passed. So we can step back and say, you know what? You know, we're going to have a free market and we're not going to do anything. But then ask yourself, is it really a free market when you have four companies that control 84% of this nation's meat supply? I don't think that's free market. Uh, and I don't think there's a lot of capitalism going on there. And I think the end result of that, we got a lot of folks in production ag that are going to be going out of business, and that's not good for the country. It's not good for our national security. Have you had the opportunity to talk with the chairwoman of the Ag Committee and, and any idea of a possible timetable for movement on legislation? And I realize it's a liquid situation and still being developed, but is there a hope or an idea of when something might be able to move? Yep, I, I would say I, I, I've talked to Debbie Stabenow, and she is uh, she is on board with 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 finding time so we can get these through committee and, and hopefully get them to the floor of the Senate. And, and look, I, John Bozeman is also a good friend of mine, the, the ranking member of the Ag Committee. He's a he's a prince of a man. I like him a lot. We I don't know if we disagree on all the issues. We certainly disagree on some of them. Uh, but the truth is, is that's where we have the debate on the floor of the Senate. And if we can get these bills to the floor of the Senate, I have full confidence in my friend Chuck Grassley, who knows agriculture, production agriculture, very, very well, and myself, to be able to make the case, uh, along with others, to be able to make the case that these bills are good for the consumer and they're good for the folks in production ag. I'm going to ask you to pull out that Montana crystal ball and tell me, is Build Back Better dead? And what of the dollars that were targeted toward agriculture conservation programs and maybe even renewable energy well it, 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 it's on life support let's put it that way it's on the back burner the way back burner uh, I think what I would be doing if I were uh, folks out there that are concerned about build back betters number one uh, it's probably going to call something different but the name really doesn't matter uh, if there are if there are issues that you think are important in in that proposal, whether it's issues on child care or housing or conservation or climate change or elder care, whatever it may be, write to your congressman, write to your senator, make sure that they know how you feel. Uh, because I think if it is revived, it'll probably be revived next month. Um, and then it'll take a lot of work to get it ready for prime time. So that sometime in the summer, there would probably be a smaller version that's, that's voted on. But there may be no version that's voted on, too. I mean, I think that it's uh, crystal ball is very cloudy at this moment in time as to what's going to happen and when it's going to happen, if anything's going to happen at all. But I will tell you this, from my perspective, as we've talked about, labor is a big, big issue in the country, whether you're in rural America or urban America. I think child care is contributing to the lack of folks going back to the workplace because it's pretty darn expensive. So if we can do things to make child care more affordable, more accessible, then I personally believe that would be anti-inflationary and a step in the right direction. There's also some things that was in the original bill that dealt with conservation for folks that are in production ag that I can I think will make a difference on, on the climate change issue. And, and so, I mean, I think there's plenty of things that, that were in that bill that uh, we can take a look at, and then ultimately in the end it's about getting 60 votes. If I recall, you've sent some information lately to the White House talking about an additional $40 to $50 million 
for land and water conservation and the annual budget. Yes, I did. And uh, and part of this deals with, uh, well, not part of it, all of it deals with the fact that we have underinvested in the land and water conservation fund, which is the best conservation we tool that we have at the federal level, and uh, this is an opportunity to try to catch up on some conservation projects that are out there uh, that won't be done uh, unless we make some investment now, and I also believe that 10, 15, 20 years from now, those projects won't be available because there will probably be a, a housing built on it or a condo built on it or, or something like that. So uh, I think time is of the essence when it comes to a lot of these conservation uh, proposals and you know I, I come from Montana and Montana is is, is 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 a great state that has a lot of opportunity for some for some uh, you know good habitat and and clean water and all those things that come with good conservation so we'll see we'll see how it goes and we'll see if if the administration reacts to the latter. Senator, you are one of few uh, that are still farming and in the upper chamber. You also have a piece of legislation. Uh, that talks about a farmer's right to repair. Uh, what's the basis for that legislation, and and is there a balance that needs to be drafted with this bill, or what are your hopes? Yeah, there there absolutely needs to be a balance. I mean, the, the truth is, is that I don't want to uh, go in and, and redo the code on, or make it possible through legislation to be able to redo the code that that does something different more than just allowing the farmer to be able to make basic repairs. Over the last few years, we've, we've got some great equipment, and it's it's marvelous equipment. You know, I I grew up on a model G Minneapolis Moline, and now I've got a Bueller Versatile that, that is so much nicer, okay? But what also came with that, that tractor was a whole lot of computers, okay? Computers so that I could be driving down the field and the motor will hesitate every so often. And you go, what the heck was that? You know, I just changed the fuel filters, and then, you know, maybe an hour later it'll hesitate again, like you hit a rock or something. And then, and then you know, you, you don't think about it. You start it up the next time, and the doggone thing doesn't run very good at all. And, and you've done all the service that you know to do. And if you had access to the software, you could plug it in and find out that there was a sending unit somewhere on the motor that needs to be replaced, and it's a 15-minute job. That's all we're asking for. We're asking for when when a farmer has a, a breakdown, and not a major one, just you know something that you'd normally fix in the past, and now you have to call the dealership to get a mechanic out, that you give that farmer the opportunity to have the software to, to make the call. And you know this as well as I do, because I've been there. you got a crop in front of you to be harvested, nice crop, combine for whatever reason shuts down, and the storm clouds are building on the horizon. There's no more helpless feeling in the world than calling up the dealer and saying, I need a mechanic. And he says, you know what? All your neighbors are harvesting too, and you you got to get on the list. So I don't know if we're going to get there today. And 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 your whole livelihood is sitting in front of you, and you got a piece of equipment that if you just had the software, you could fix it yourself, and you could be harvested in an hour, and you could be bringing in wheat, corn, whatever you're cutting. And And that's really the bottom line. Otherwise, expenses go up, crops get lost, farmers go broke, and it's the same thing we've talked about this whole show. National security is influenced, rural America is diminished, and the problems continue. So this, is, this isn't about 
making one of the big dealers give away all their trades or big manufacturers give away their trade secrets. No, it's about empowering farmers so that they can do their work when it's appropriate. Senator Tester, we want to thank you very much for taking time from your schedule to visit with us on this edition of Open Mic. You've been here before. It is Open Mic, and, sir, today you have the last word. Well, I just want to thank you, Jeff. You know, as we've talked about before, uh, agriculture uh, and education about what it takes to to be in production agriculture is is really uh, it's really important that we keep telling the story. And uh, you you out there letting folks know what the challenges are in agriculture and and possible solutions to some of the challenges are 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 re- it's really important. And I applaud your efforts and, and want to thank you for them because truth is we're all in this together. And what I said earlier about if, if we see family farm operations go away, whether it's ranches or farms uh, or small processors, whatever it might be, that's, that's going to do harm to this country's national security and certainly to our food security. So we need to be smart and we need to react in a way that fits the needs of this country moving forward. And you doing this show and all the other things you do uh, are, are very important to uh, making sure that we're doing the right thing by production agriculture. Our thanks to Montana U.S. Senator John Tester, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Growing Matters. Growing Matters is an industry coalition sharing science-based information about the crucial role neonicotinoids play in how food is produced. Learn more at neonicfacts.org. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Nelly.